スロットンシュはい。Taking the time to ride a bicycle was just out of the question for years and years. Yeah. Back into, you know, riding around on a bike, and oh my goodness, I absolutely love it. The weather's finally nice,、uh, you know, where I am. And yeah, it's just, it's great to get out there and soak in the sunshine and just ride around, you know. So I've really, really missed that. And so it got me thinking that I'm really kind of reconnecting with a lot of pleasures from my youth,、mm-hmm. um, you know, biking being one of them. Um, what, what kind of bicycle is this? Is this like a road bike, like a racing bike, or is this like an off road? You know,、uh, no, no, no. Like it's a mountain bike. Oh, okay,、um, cool. Although I will admit that it is an e bike. I wanted to get an e bike. Well, there's a bunch of reasons why I wanted to get an e bike, but it's a nice、uh, all wheel drive e bike. So there's motors on both the front and the rear、um, tire. And so. You know, I find that I don't often make use of the function, but there's definitely times that it comes in handy. And as I guess I'm, as I'm getting older, you know, to be able to quickly turn on a little bit of a boost is, you know, it's a huge. It, what it does is it, it heightens the enjoyment of the experience of biking for an extended period of time, right? right? So, so it's just fun. It's fun. And then, yeah, like、uh, on the gaming front,、um, I've been playing some Virtua Fighter 3 on the Dreamcast. And I love the Virtua Fighter series, but I will say that the more time I spend with the Dreamcast port, the more I realize that as good a game as Virtua Fighter 3 is, the Dreamcast port is not the best. It's definitely lacking. We're on the same page with that. And I don't know what it is. Like, you want to、mm-hmm. like it, right? I mean, I love Virtua Fighter, the series. I loved Virtua Fighter 3 in the arcade. But is it tag battle or team battle? Team battle. I can't I remember.、Think. TB. Yeah. yeah okay. Yeah. It just it left me wanting something. This in the very much the same way that Daytona USA on the Dreamcast、uh, mm. was just not, you know, I thought that it was going to be, you know, finally a, a true arcade port, you know, of Daytona.、Mm-hmm. And no, I actually enjoy the one on the Saturn as janky as it is more than the one on the Dreamcast. Likewise. Wouldn't be until like the PlayStation 3 era that we would get, you know, a one to one arcade. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's crazy. But yeah, Virtua Fighter 3 on the Dreamcast is. It's just not my cup of tea. <laughs> no, and it's like you said, you know, you, you really want to like it, and the gameplay's there. The controller makes it awkward, but then. Like, it's not all bad. No, it isn't all bad, but it's 
bad enough in some areas that really kind of it's jarring, I guess you could say in some ways. I definitely don't recommend that folks play it with the Dreamcast pad. You got mm-hmm. you got to get the arcade stick, you know, mm-hmm. definitely get the arcade stick with the, the VMU slot in the top and everything. And and I would recommend getting the arcade stick anyway because of like games like Third Strike and, you know, uh, mm-hmm. Marvel versus Capcom. There's so many great fighting games on the Dreamcast and you really can't play them with that, you yes. know, with that pad. You know, alternatively, if you're on Saturn, I highly recommend the pad if that's all you have. You know, it's still gr- a great, you know, six button pad. 100%. Yeah. So you've been getting into that. Uh, anything else on the gaming front? Um, of all things, I've been playing a lot of Corpse Killer. You know, it's a guilty pleasure of mine. I tend to go to it more and more these days. It's just mindless, sort of corny shooting fun and just been really getting, yeah. Corpse Killer. Okay, so that's the Henry Explorers, right? No, you're, that's Crypt Killer. You're no, that's cri- okay, that's Crypt Killer. Corpse Killer is the full motion video. Is the full with, motion video. You know, Dr. Hellman. The, yeah, Tom Zito. Yeah, that's it, yes. Um, Really? And, and, and that's, you're playing it with the pad, right? Yes, because of course on the Saturn that's the only way to play it. Although I did recently pick up the Sega CD 32X version of Corpse Killer. Mm. Totally loving it. <laughs> CD 32, the 32X CD version. Yes, nice. Okay, so yes. that's obviously yes, uh, just a tad lesser than you know, as far as performance and stuff than the Saturn version. It, yeah, not much. I mean. The video quality seems to be quite on par with the Saturn, but it is heavily bordered on the Sega CD32X, whereas it's full screen on the Saturn, right? So, right. Um, and I do, I'll, I'll just admit this right now, I also own a physical copy of the 2020 Nintendo Switch remaster of that game. So I don't yeah. understand. This is a game I utterly detested when I was young, and here I am just kind of really getting into it. So <laughs> I can't really explain it other than maybe, you know, it's fun for quick short bursts and that was that's what i'm you know that's that tends to be what my gaming is like these days versus back when i was younger when i wanted these like super long immersive experiences so well no i mean there's something to be said for that though i mean if it if you're enjoying it now for what it is you know and Mm -hmm. and uh it's not necessarily tied to any kind of like reliving the past you know then uh there really is something to be said for that there then the game obviously has you know like a tangible appeal to it you know Mm -hmm. Uh, at least for you. I mean, again, that game's not going to be for everybody, but for definitely sure. the B movie kind of, you know, aspect to it. And just, it's so cheesy. The so bad, it's good kind of thing, you know, that definitely yeah. applies when it comes to Corpse Killer. Um, but you've also been up to a ton of editing. Am I right? Like, yes, you're at the helm of uh, the mainline podcast now, and we have rebooted our mainline podcast that we started all the way back in 2017, 17. Right? Can you believe it? Hey, I mean, that just blows yeah. my mind. That just blows my mind. So yes, uh, that's been a lot of fun. It's, you know, obviously it's a ton of work as it always has mm-hmm. been. And the challenges, you know, being able to get everybody together at the same time to record a solid episode. Um, there's inevitably tons and tons of editing that goes into it. I'm currently and we are came out so good though. Did it? Oh, I'm glad, you know, it's there's something fun about listening to an episode that I'm not on, to be honest with you. (laughs) And I just love listening to, you know, you, Nick and Ben talk about your, you know, experiences with these games and yeah, to to a to a degree, it's kind of like stepping outside Mm -hmm, and kind mm -hmm. of like being on the outside looking in and 
you know, because I record these casts, mm-hmm, you know, so mm-hmm. it's like when I'm listening back to a cast that I'm in, I'm kind of being more critical and I'm not focusing as much on the, you know, what it's about versus like the production quality or, you know, things that might need to be edited and stuff. Whereas when I'm just listening to you guys, I'm just like, this is really fun. I love Saturn and I love listening mm-hmm, to these mm-hmm. experts talk about their experience with it, you know? So it was a great cast and you did a marvelous job editing it. Uh, Pat, of course, did an amazing and outstanding job editing the cast for years, but I think that he's happy to get a break take, now. Yeah, for, well, I mean, to be honest, you guys are involved in the Shiro show every Friday. Like, that's a huge commitment, too. So, you know, happy yeah, is, to yeah. happy to take this on for myself. And it's fun. And the goal with, with this is, you know, just as the Shiro show is sort of very impromptu and sort of, you know, um, yes, you know, you guys go through a certain format, but it's interactive, folks are talking and everything, whereas this is a lot more structured and produced. So it's a different flavor, but ultimately it's about the same, you know, overall. Right. Topic. So, yeah, just really glad that it's uh, that it's been relaunched. And uh, at the time of this recording, we've just launched episode one. Episode two is queued up and ready to go. And I'm about halfway through editing episode three. So, you know, one of our mm-hmm. big goals here is just to maintain consistency with our releases. And it looks like we're well on track to do that. So, yeah, that's uh, it's exciting stuff. And people have asked about the frequency, and I believe that it is bi-monthly, meaning that it's every two months, That's correct? correct, yes. And that, right. you know, at the end of the day, this isn't a full-time job for any of us. It takes an immense amount of time to uh, edit and prepare these things, not to mention the scheduling of trying to get everybody together for several hours, you know, uh, you know, that's a big commitment. So rather than committing to something more frequent where, you know, the likelihood of us dropping off or uh, failing to make a deadline would be higher. I figured every Mm -hmm. two months we could put out a really solid quality, uh, you know, multi-hour cast. So that's what we're going to try. And uh, so far, so good. Yeah, I think that's a good plan because we've done the, you know, boom, 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 Mm -hmm. putting out episodes over the years and it leads to burnout, you know. Oh, 100%. But, um, But this way it's much more sustainable. And of course, folks who are, you know, plugged into the feed will be getting editor's corner they'll also be getting the shiro show you know the uploads from the shiro show that we do so there's going to be plenty of content to keep folks uh, entertained in the meantime definitely um, definitely i myself have uh, been what have i been doing i mean it's well, obviously shiro show you know uh been listening to a lot of podcasts lately and then uh one little thing that i did that i might have talked about with peter or pat can't remember was, you know, going through and doing this Excel spreadsheet where I kind of was nailing down dates when I got certain consoles, dates that were important uh, to my gaming history, you know, personal gaming history, much so that I don't have to make stuff up <laughs> when uh, when we're talking on the show show or when I'm talking with Peter, you know, because memory is a fickle thing, especially the older that we get. So the exercise in creating like a timeline, if you will, uh, was really just to kind of nail down those memories. And for myself, it helped kind of ground my my history and my memories in, in like this very real, like, okay, it was 91 that w- my sister got her Genesis, you know? And I had that memory, but it wasn't like grounded. Now it's anchored down to a date and everything. And so out of that spun this idea to do like a dramatic retelling of my childhood gaming memories, you know? which I recently uploaded and, and went live. And a lot of folks had good reactions to it and positive feedback. So um, I'll probably be doing like a part two, but that was a lot of fun. 
and uh, that story of of my sister's Genesis. And this this would have not been the very early Altered Beast Genesis, but this would have been the Sonic pack in Genesis, mm-hmm, with, you know, mm-hmm. Sonic running on the front. And I was like, I want to reacquire that, mm-hmm. you know. But again, my OCD means that it it has to be in pristine condition, you know. And of course. The fact that I like to get things for a, a deal, but I also want them to be pristine, those two do not those uh, reconcile yeah, with each other. No, they other. really don't. So you, can, so you can imagine how hard it is, like how long I'm going to have to wait to find some kind of crazy deal. But in the meantime, I did pick up something that I have no nostalgia for um, because I have never owned one, and that is a Model 2 Sega Genesis. Mm-hmm. And I unboxed it on the Shiro Show and it's actually, I got a pristine. So it is the core system, right? It's pristine. The box, very, very little shelfware or anything like that, right? Um, so it looks like I just pulled it off the shelf at Kmart in 1995 or whatever. And the system itself is so clean. I took it apart to, you know, mm-hmm. like vacuum it out and everything. And I was like, there's nothing to vacuum out. Like the whole, the nice. system is just like, they didn't play it. And I picked it up because I was the rational, reasonable part of me said, you know, I'm spending so much time trying to acquire, reacquire this, you know, big bulky system for whatever reason, you know, that's driving me to want to do this. But the much more sensible thing would be to get it like a model two, because it takes up so much less space. Right. Mm. And so I was able to, I, I don't have any space to put another console in my setup. It's just completely packed with fifth and sixth generation consoles. Um, and so I was able to fit the the little Genesis up on top of my monitor there, you know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, it just takes up a lot less space, you know, and it looks great with the 32X on top. Yes. Honestly, as much as I love the original like high definition graphics, that is my go to model one, you know, it looks kind of wonky with with, you know, the the CD extender and, yeah. and the 32X on top. It's just got kind of a little bit yeah. ugly, but by itself, it's just it's amazing. Um, and like you, you know, there's always room for one more console. So, yeah. Anyway, I've been getting back into Sega Genesis and playing that stuff. I know you were like for the last month yes. or two uh, delving back into your Genesis stuff. Yeah. And you got the Mega EverDrive Pro, yeah? Yes. Uh, that can play Sega CD games and stuff. So that's that's rad. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so the process of of all of this, you know, the, the process of uh, endless days of indecision mm-hmm. <laughs> about mm-hmm. all of this just to ultimately grab this Model 2. And it was like 99 bucks shipped, right? So that, that was awesome. It was it was really a score. But but the thing is, it, it, it got me thinking, like, why does it matter? You know, like I have all these like irrational reasons that it has to be one thing. You know, I've I've passed up so many great deals because, oh, it doesn't meet like this very fine requirement that I have in my head of like what I really want. Right. It's so intangible. It's so personal. Mm -hmm. Right. So that's what we're talking about today. It was kind of a long intro and everything, but what we're talking about today are the intangible sides of retro gaming. Okay. Cause um, so much of what we deal with here is tangible, you know, game carts, boxes, consoles, monitors, tangible stuff, you know, and you can kind of quantify one thing is better than another and stuff, but there are so many intangible sides of retro gaming and those are like nostalgia mm-hmm. huge intangible factor addiction which is somewhat intangible but very very real and then ocd you know mm-hmm. i think that you could even go farther 
to put like hoarding in there, but I think the hoarding is like a combination of addiction and OCD. Can be, yeah, know? for sure. So, so basically, the trifecta of nostalgia, addiction, and OCD is kind of what we're talking about today. The um, dark triad of gaming. We we are not scientists. Well, Peter's got a degree in psychology, so I guess you could say we're. Well, you know, yeah, but you know, I'm going to try to shoot a lot from, uh, you know, memory and my own experiences rather than necessarily delving into, you know, into the research and what mm-hmm. have you. I'll bring it in, I guess, if it's appropriate, but I really, as we do on Editor's Corner, uh, you know, try to just sort of pull from my own past and what I may have been feeling and why I may have been making certain mm-hmm. choices and so on, right? Because um, I think this is just such a fascinating topic. Well, I want to kick it off by asking you a question. Have you in recent years or I don't know, in the past decade, like has there been a time where you have sat down with something and you've booted it up and it just hasn't been what you remember? This isn't as good as I remember it. I'm just curious. Oh, sure. And I mean, you know, just as I uh, was talking about in, you know, in our intro, like Virtual Fighter 3 on Dreamcast, you know, it's a game that you see the sort of flaws, you see you know, that, oh, okay, this was a bit lazy here. It's a bit, you know, short over there. And, and it's something that I'm not sure I'm going to spend a huge amount of time with going forward, I guess, Mm -hmm. you know, so that's probably the most recent example I can think of. Yeah. Just last night I came out to the garage and I was playing some Sega Genesis, you know, and there's a game that I grew up with that I absolutely loved as a kid. That's Jurassic Park. Mm. Okay. Jurassic Park on the Genesis. Um, the, it was released around the time of the movie, right? And the movie just blew my mind, you know? Uh, absolutely impacted the game industry, you know, with Silicon Graphics and, and you know, that kind of technology, you know? And of course, it had ga- several game iterations and stuff like that. But man, playing that game last night, it's brutally difficult. Sure is. And I could not, I swear, I could not, as, as Grant, at least, I could not get past the first level. And I asked myself, like, why do I have so so many great memories of this game? Is it just because like I sat there with my sister and brother and and you know took the punishment mm-hmm. and like persevered through it and had fun despite all of its flaws, you know? I mean, the fact is the gra- I liked the graphics, I liked the kind of atmosphere and ambiance that the game presented. Um and of course, as crude as it is today, you know, compared to what we're used to, it did a good job kind of dropping you down into that, that vibe, you know, you had the, the T-Rex face with the flashing lights and then mm-hmm, mm-hmm. the cage breaks and everything like that. And then it shows you the map. And then now you're in like this deep, dark jungle and you're kind of doing the, you know, flashback style platforming, you know, but I mean, again, it's just so brutally difficult and unfair. Sure know? is. Yeah. And, and, and so, yeah, it could just be that I'm old now and that my reflexes aren't great. But yeah, so I sat here and I was just like, wow, yeah, this is, that's, it's disappointing. I love looking at the box and reading the manual and firing it up for the sounds and stuff, but I just don't know how much I'm going to actually be playing this, you know? Interesting. Yeah, Interesting. So. I, uh, so playing that game, I kind of agree with you. It, the presentation is really good, you know, like it, it really mm-hmm. kind of, uh, you know, ties in with the movie very nicely, but it is insanely difficult. I've only ever finished it with Grant. I've never been able to finish it with the Raptor. Um, oh, wow. Okay. You know, so that's, but, but, oh man, that took, and you know, this was a recent, I'd say within the last yeah. say five years, I, 
I uh, played th- played it through, but you know, it it definitely was frustrating. Hundred percent was frustrating, and it was definitely a case of, you know, this is something where I'm going to have to die four or five times in certain sections before I really kind of get a certain timing down or or whatever, figure something out before I can proceed. So it's got its charm. It's got its uh, you know, good points, obviously, but yeah, it's not. It's definitely not a pick up and play for thirty minutes type of game. You know what I mean? It just does not allow you to right. do that. So that's yeah, yeah, for sure, definitely. Like I remember, I remember getting to the part with. I don't think I ever beat the game, to be honest with you. But I remember getting to the part with the river raft, mm, you know. Yep. And I remember getting to a part with the T Rex. You know, so I, like I have a lot of memories of the game, but again, like it's just yeah, it's brutally difficult and. They never learned because honestly, uh, Lost World on the Saturn has, is very much the same for me. Like I have very good uh, nostalgic feelings of playing it back in the day with my brother, mm-hmm. you know, and we got to the T-Rex. I think we actually beat Lost World, to be honest with you, but it might have been him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it might have been him and I watched. And now I can't, for the life of me, persist with that game because it is just there's not enough good feelings and good vibes, you know, to mm-hmm. overshadow mm-hmm. just how unfair the game is even on easy difficulty or whatever uh john williams score is great and everything i think i talked about this in our Mm -hmm. games that we either you know hated back then and and loved today or we loved back then and hate today you know i wouldn't say that i hate it but and it's on my shelf but i just don't think i'll be firing it up anytime soon you know Mm -hmm. so yeah again like it's kind of a big disappointment when you kind of remember something being really great and then you turn it on and you realize that it's not really that great, you know, and that, uh, yeah, I've noticed that with modern remakes today, it's like they have to create like an HD remake of it just to give folks the same feeling that they had playing the original, you know, like with the Metroid prime remake, for example, a lot of folks play this modern HD remake and they're like, okay, yeah, this gives me the same feeling I had back then playing it for the first time, because back then, it was mind blowing visually, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. it was, you know, like, and of course, but when you play it today, it's nothing special because of everything we've been exposed to subsequently. Right. Yeah. So it's like, you almost have to play the remaster to kind of feel like, yes, this is what I remember. I remember it being mind blowing basically, you know, but you know, okay. So even though you take a game like Jurassic park and you know, you look at it now and it's not really quite as good as you remember it would you ever sell or otherwise get rid of your copy of that game or even the Saturn version or anything like that? I don't think so because, and that's, that's where like, it's kind of irrational, right? I mean, if I was a more sensible person that didn't have any kind of shred of sentimentality, then I probably, it would make no sense for it to live rent free in my house, you know, like taking, taking up space. Mm -hmm, Right. mm -hmm. But I do have you know feelings and emotions associated with this physical object okay it's like what it represents right Mm -hmm. and again like this is so stupid it's so intangible i I shouldn't say it's stupid because it's real right you know and a lot of people don't relate to this i'm sure yeah but again like it begs the question if you have an everdrive and you have a rom of it on the everdrive and you could play it it's at, at your fingertips right do you really need to hold on to that physical memento you know how and i'm i'm sure that there are different games with different scales of, you know, how much impact or how much meaning they hold for you, you know? But, um, I don't know. I am definitely a lot like you in the, in that, uh, I like the physical memento 
Um, it's not just shelf candy. Like I'm not, I don't really show off my game library that much. Um, and it wouldn't be much to look at anyway, because it's in a garage, but, uh, it's, it's what it means to me, you know? Yeah. Oh yeah. So how about you? I mean, I think that you're on the same page, right? Totally. And, you know, I was just thinking of another good example, you know, growing up on the Genesis, I loved the Sonic games, uh, you know, got into it. It got my attention with Sonic one, but it really took off with Sonic two, loved Sonic three. Mm. It totally enjoyed Sonic and Knuckles. Anyways, later came the Saturn and I got Sonic jam. So now I've got these games all on a disc and it's a really, really good port, you know, it really is. So, so do I get rid of my Genesis cards? And for me, the answer is no, but logically like why, why I've, I mean, they're the exact same game, right? I mean, yes, one's on a cartridge, one's on a CD, but the experience you're going to get out of it, you know, it's the same. So why is it that I want to hang on to, to all of that and not let some of it go? And, and to your point, now that I've got a Genesis EverDrive, you know, not only are all the original editions loaded onto my EverDrive, but so are, you know, fan hacks and, you know, fan, uh, you know, mods and all that stuff. So, so why hang on to all that stuff? And yet I can't let it go, you know, because I think part of that sort of nostalgia or those, those happy memories or happy feelings are not just associated with the experience of playing the game. Although yes, that's a big part of it, but I think it's also associated with, you know, physically holding that box or that cartridge and, mm. you know, looking mm-hmm. at the artwork, you know, leafing through the manual, like it, it's all like, there's a, there is a, there's an attachment to the physical object that is separate, I think, from the experience of actually playing the game, if that makes any sense. Oh, it does. So just got a brand new to me model two Genesis. Right. Mm. And I happen to have several, you know, hard box copies of Genesis games. Right. And so I brought Jesse into the garage here, you know, and I slapped in Sonic the Hedgehog, the original one, right? Mm-hmm. He's played it multiple times, okay? He's played it on the Wii, he's played it on the Switch, he's played it on the on the Sonic Jam collection, right? You know? Right. So I yeah. mean, he's very familiar. And I mean, he loves the movies, he loves Sonic. He he's very familiar with this game, but he has never played it on real hardware. And I and I put the cart in and I'm like, "Here, this is what I've been talking about." Like, I understand that to him the idea of the console that it came from is completely foreign. You know, he's familiar with the game, but it just the experience of what it actually came from. And I was like, this is where it all started. Like Sonic did not exist before this, you know, Mm -hmm. this is where it started. Here is the game playing on physical raw hardware. You know, it's, it's a real cart and it's the original hardware. This is as real as it gets, you know, even though it doesn't actually look as good as like the upscaled Switch version, you know, that he plays. The funny thing is it didn't impress him nearly as much as I thought it would. He's just like, OK, yeah, I was yeah, going to so ask what his reaction was. Yeah. His, his reaction was just like, oh, yeah, yeah, that's neat, daddy. And that's <laughs> but, it. Eh? Yeah. But I think that it just impresses me so much more than it does him. Sure. Because to me, I think like this is like a classic car with an old carburetor, you know, and everything like this is just as raw as you can possibly get when it comes to this game, you know, and that to me, I don't know, that tickles a a certain nerve, I guess, you know, for Mm -hmm. me, like that Mm -hmm. means a lot to be playing it on a real cart on a real system. Mm -hmm. But that might mean absolutely nothing to someone else. I mean, my son is a great example. It means nothing to him, you know, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but he that doesn't mean that he doesn't love the game, you know, and that in the future, he might not have some good memories associated with the original Sonic game. But he doesn't derive any kind of like positive memories from like the actual hardware itself. Because for him, 
his experience of playing that game has been on several different pieces of hardware. So it's sure. just been yeah. diluted, you know, uh, that side of it, that side of things has been diluted for him. So that kind of reminds me, so, you know, way back in the day when I was heavily into video gaming in general, like Sega and Saturn and all that were always at the forefront, but ultimately as the Saturn started fading out in the West, I did end up getting both a PlayStation and a Nintendo 64. Mm -hmm. And I ended up building up, you know, especially for the 64, a fairly significant library of all the hits that are now extremely expensive, you know. From all the Nintendo games to things like Harvest Moon, 64, like like you name it and I had it. Yeah. And years ago, I sold it all. Really? Because I'm more than happy to play it on a 64 with, say, an EverDrive. Okay. Or, or the virtual console, which is my go-to now, mm-hmm. uh, that I've had on the Wii, now transferred to a Wii U. Um because I don't have the sentimental attachment to the physical boxes, cartridges, and manuals of the Nintendo 64 stuff mm-hmm. in the same way that I do for the Sega stuff. Okay, I fair, couldn't, yeah. you couldn't, You couldn't pay me to sell my Sega physical stuff away. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But I, I did manage to let go of all of my 64 stuff. And there's no regret whatsoever. I don't miss it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I enjoy the fact that it's not taking up a ton of space. You know what I mean? Like True. I mean, it does. Those carts take it. Yeah. I can agree with you there. I we had a Nintendo sixty four in the house. Subsequently, later, when my brother kind of like did a, a system swap with a friend, you know, mm-hmm. and so uh, it came into our house and with several unboxed games, and we kind of played it. And so I do have some nostalgia there of the the experience playing the games. Mm-hmm. Definitely have nostalgia of that summer ninety six when people were playing Mario sixty four on the kiosks in the mall and stuff yes. like that, and just just how much of an impact that game had on the gaming industry and on me as a kid, just like having never seen anything like that before. Um, so, I mean, it definitely is a kick to, to hold one of those Trident controllers, love them or hate them and play Mario 64 on real hardware, you know, as fun as it can be on, you know, the virtual console or whatever, it really is a kick to play something like that or, you know, F zero on the Nintendo 64 with a real controller. Right. But you're right. I don't have any nostalgia for the boxes because I never bought Nintendo 64 games back in the day Mm -hmm. or took them home and read the manuals or looked at the boxes fondly. Like I I guess I remember them packing in the, the expansion pack with the boxes and seeing them in the store. And, and um, you know, I guess I remember looking at Nintendo 64 boxes in, in the game stores and stuff like that. But again, that's not enough to have me want to, you know, hoard them on my shelf. Whereas I'm much like you with the Saturn, like, it's almost like off limits. I'll sell a kidney, you know, or I'll sell my guitars like guitar. I have a bunch of guitars. Right. And I don't have any sentimental attachment to any of those. Like I could get a new guitar, right? Mm-hmm. Guitars are a dime a dozen. You just go onto whatever music site and drop like $300 and get a new guitar. I can't just easily get all these Sega Saturn games again, you know? So when people talk about, Oh, well, you know, sell those if in a medical emergency or something I'm like i'm like no 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 no. just I, take yeah. the kidney <laughs> <laughs> unbelievable Unbe- but it, but i get it i get it um you know i obviously i remember the nintendo 64 stuff being on the shelves and you know nintendo did a decent job with packaging and and keeping mm-hmm. their template throughout the 64's life cycle you know so there should be enough there to trigger it at the very least you know, the OCD and yeah. Right. But it yeah, still yeah, just yeah. doesn't really do it for me again. I, you know, I, and to be honest, it, 
you know, for the most part, I've been playing any Nintendo 64 games I've needed to or wanted to through virtual console. But uh, not too long ago, I pulled out the actual physical N64 because the only thing I've got left from that entire collection is just the console hookups and a few controllers. And I just, Mm. you know, opened it up, cleaned it, whatever. Um, And then I held the controller and I started cleaning it. And I, my God, it's, it is a terrible, horrendous controller that tried it. Everything about (laughs) it sucks. And I'm just thinking to myself, if I ever do get an EverDrive for the 64, which I think I might, that might be the way I go. I will definitely have to buy a more modern um, aftermarket controller to go for it. And again, you know, if there was some sentimentality there or nostalgia, I would swear that off. I would, of course, yeah. use the original uh, Trident controller. And I don't remember it being horrendously bad at the time. But holding this thing now, it is awkward. It's uncomfortable. The buttons suck. The joist, like it just, anyway, I could go on, but they're not, uh, yeah, I mean. I mean, to be honest with you, I'm holding it right now. I love it, hate it. You know, like I have a love-hate relationship with this. First of all, the cord is like really thin compared to anything we were used to with like the Super Nintendo or the Sega Genesis. The cord on this is like really flimsy. That's not great. Um, The stick to me feels pretty good, actually. I don't know. I know that these things wear out, but I know how to repair them. And so mine are... I, you know, all the sticks, I've tightened them up. It is strange, though. I At the same time, it's so counterintuitive that they would release this thing with a mm-hmm. with a D-pad that pretty much nobody ever touched. You know, Agreed. and I mean, yes. even back in the day, I was just like, okay, so I don't have three hands. How do I use this? Mm-hmm. So wait a second. It's just superfluous and you just ignore it? Because, of course, you have the Z-trigger on in the middle. Yep. So if you're trying to use... And um, I've seen people say, oh, well, I, you know, I hold it like a regular controller and I reach my thumb to the middle. I'm like, yeah, but how do you do the Z trigger? Like, are you seriously like doing it with your middle finger or whatever? I don't know. So anyway, it is a, uh, it is definitely a lot like the Dreamcast controller there. That's not a perfect one either, but that's true. It's like, Fair. Yeah. it turns heads, you know, it turned heads back in the day. Oh, of course. And it definitely, and it definitely like shook up the, the, I guess the standard for like, what is a controller? What should a controller look like? Cause it was just completely going in the opposite direction of, mm-hmm, of anything. Mm-hmm. And, but you know, not, not necessarily for better. Right. And of course, when you get the, when you get that bulky, uh, the rumble what, pack, rumble pack thinking, with yeah. the battery and everything like that, it like weighs it down like so much. You're just like, you know, totally. so I don't know, I guess the nostalgia that I do have attached to this is all of that from back in the day, like, thinking like what a weird design and you know i guess it is a love-hate relationship that i have with that controller but interesting the build quality is definitely not up to par with even like what sony put out you know sony sony's controllers were actually pretty solid you know um yeah like as much as i rag on sony's initial controllers like they got okay once they added the twin uh uh analog sticks but the original the initial the the plain one that just had digital input was bad too like i just Mm. you know but again the shock value like oh my goodness this is totally different it's new it's blah 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 and you know maybe it was a way to sort of stand out from the crowd and say hey you know look at what sega's put out it's you know totally the same as they've always done and yet you know Mm -hmm. the saturn pad at least the japanese one anyways endures to this day as a fabulous fabulous controller so yeah it's you know it is weird from that perspective definitely you you know you mentioned 
the nostalgia and the great feelings you have about associated with the boxed Saturn collection though, you know, and how you, you have a complete, um, collect, you know, complete long box collection, you know, and I'm just, Mm -hmm. how irrational is it though? (laughs) Just bear with me here. How irrational is it though, that you prefer those over the Japanese jewel cases, which are arguably take up less space, have better artwork on them. And largely, you know, have uh, better versions of the games. I mean, Bug is more playable. A stall is more playable. Uh, oh, you have totally. you have access to like this entire library of great games that go beyond what we got in the States. So it's like, how irrational is it that we prefer? It must be this ugly copy of, you know, Rainbow Islands. <laughs> you know? Oh, totally. 100%. Yeah. You know, and to me, the most salient example, the game that really kind of got me hooked on the Sega Saturn was the original Panzer Dragoon, which has amazingly hand-drawn, mm-hmm. uh, yes. you know, cover art on the Japanese jewel case. Mobius, right? And it has this, right, yeah. And, and it has this, you know, horrendously primitive 3D, Render. you know, yeah, with a black background that doesn't even take up the into anyway. It's just bad. It's not aesthetic. No, no, and yet, it, and yet, that's what's on my shelf, and I do <laughs> like it. It, it has that's a, what we got. So that's yeah, yeah. So you know, it's so as much as I rag on, for example, the N sixty four controller for folks who were Nintendo fans and really got into the sixty four. There, I'm mm. sure, I'm sure they appreciate that controller. Mm. you know, for maybe what they wanted it to be or what Nintendo wanted it to be or whatever. And same with, you know, with, cause you're right. I mean, logically, why don't I have, you know, Japanese versions of a whole lot of these games, language barrier aside, you know, and. But you, know, you don't have nostalgia for those. I I don't. Even though they, like I say, arguably, there's so much to love about the Japanese versions of the games, the OB cards and everything. Like, for somebody who has OCD, you know, like I love that. Mm-hmm, I, mm-hmm. The fact that they have all this extra stuff, stickers, a lot of them come with stickers inside. Like I have my copy of Initial D came with like the OB strip and the stickers inside and all this extra paperwork, lots of it in Japanese that I can't understand, or at least only halfway understand. But I mean, um, many of my Japanese box games are like very substantial what you get, you know? And of course, that's just not what we got in the States as kids. And yet here we are, you know, sitting here with all this nostalgia over the crap that we got in the States, you know, I mean, arguably the Nintendo 64 and the PlayStation US libraries, they looked a lot more impressive. I mean, the Nintendo 64 boxes, they're cardboard, so that sucks. But the box art and the the design of the boxes, it looked very striking. Um, And and the the artwork was pretty good, you know, overall Uh, PlayStation, really nice looking library good looking artwork and of course cases that don't take up a lot of space saturn we got a lot of really i mean just look at it look at the spines you look at the cover art got a lot of really wonky looking artwork on the u.s side of things you know for the saturn and yet that's what we got so those are the memories that we formed you know yeah and it's you know i think the moment that i realized that the nostalgia will win out over the aesthetic of it mm-hmm. was there was a time where it seemed like everybody and their dog were creating customs of Saturn games. Everybody was doing it. Everybody um, and their dog. <laughs> every, Love it. 
you know, absolutely. Yeah. They still and, are, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, no, that's definitely not something that's gone away, but it just seemed to be way more sort of in your face out your there face. for yeah. a period of time. Anyways, um, it always bothered me that the original packed-in Virtua Fighter game here in North America came in a standard jewel case, and virtually everything else was in a long box. So yes, you've got yes. all your games in a shelf, and then you've got this one, and th- I realize there was a few others, but you've got this one s- small standard jewel case. You know, the manual obviously is just a, a fold-out poster. Like, it just, it obviously didn't match or didn't fit. Right. And there was a fellow who made an amazing... Virtua Fighter 1 custom box. It was a long box. You know, they yeah. took great care to make sure that the art was, uh, you know, in line with uh, what was being used uh, at the time, uh, you mm-hmm. know, during that time period, everything. And to me, it was a no brainer. Like, yeah, this is what I need. This is what I want. Mm-hmm. Um, and in time, I found that I don't appreciate the custom nearly as much as I do the original, even though the original may have been arguably lower quality it doesn't fit with the rest of the collect you know what i mean like it just doesn't oh, yeah, yeah yeah um you know christmas sites is another example that you've made it just the standard right. de facto uh custom for christmas nights and for a very long time it was on my shelf alongside all the other releases as if that was what had come out and right. you couldn't really even tell looking at it that it was right. anything other than that and yet i find that i'm defaulting back to the sleeve because yeah. that's what initially this is, you know, that's to me is the real genuine, yeah. you know, and that's what th- that's what the attachment is. That is a great example of like OCD, because on one aspect, you want them all to match. You know, you want everything mm-hmm. on your shelf to be uniform and match. Right. And that's OCD right there. <laughs> you know, at least it's a mild form. And I don't mean that disrespectfully, because I know that there are actual people who actually suffer from severe OCD. OK, so. It's just, let's just call it CD, compulsive disorder. (laughs) But I mean, essentially, you want them all to match, you know? And at the same time, you're like, but I also want the it to be, you know, historically accurate and contextual, yeah. right? You know, so that, that the two sides are like warring with each other. And for me, I just go, why not both, right? Mm-hmm. You know, so it's like I have the sleeve and I keep it alongside, you know, the original, right? Um, but absolutely, you know, like, what do you do? Whatever you got to do to justify it to yourself, you know? And again, th- these are just such intangible things that are going to matter to one person and be completely irrelevant to someone else, you know? They're going to be like, why Why are you wasting so much time with this, you know? Yeah. I don't know. Do you ever try to, like, recreate? Um, how do I put this? Like, there are times when I've tried to go on a vacation or something like that, and you try to go back to a place that you had a really good experience with or a very good time, you know, but then when you go back, it's not the same. Yep. Or it doesn't, it doesn't fill you with the same kind of emotions that you had at that time. Totally. Because what you may not realize is that context was so important. You know, what was going on in your life? You know, for example, I've had uh, different girlfriends in in my lifetime, right? You know, (laughs) and this is so funny. Like one girlfriend that I'd had where I took her to, I don't know, some place where we had a good experience, right? And then, of course, you know, I'm dating another girl down the road and I try taking her to the same place because I think that, you know, it'll be like, oh, this will be great, you know? And it's just totally different because the context is not there. You're not, you're different people. Time has passed, you know, maybe the place has changed. Maybe it's gone downhill, right? Yes, Trying to recreate past experiences, I think, is an exercise in failure, you know, because it's almost never going to be the same, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And 
I only say all of that, which has nothing to do with gaming, to illustrate the point that we often try to do that now with with retro gaming. You know, we we try to you know recreate a situation that we experienced in the past. And again, not all the parts are there, you know, you might have the console and you might have the game and heck, you might even have like a, a, an old CRT to play it on, you know, so you've got part of it, but maybe you don't have the same people surrounding you on the couch, you know, right? maybe the relationship that you had with your brother when you were little kids isn't the same relationship that you have with him now, you of know, course. you know, maybe you had more time to just persevere with a game that really sucked back then. And, and you didn't have choice, you know, mm-hmm. you were not like flooded with like uh, an EverDrive with so many games on it, you know, that you're crippled by inability to choose, you know, whereas you literally were just like, here's your game. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you play mm-hmm. this game, you know, it's Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles on the NES. Oh, my. Good luck. Yeah. Have fun. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you you do you do what you have to. You get good, you know? Yes. So, you know, OK, I'm going to tell you about two experiences gaming related, you know, to on this topic that you're talking about. One which turned out really good and which which one which turned out very poorly, really. So, OK, um, just as the Saturn faded and just before I got into importing, there was a brief period of time where, you know, it was a lot of PlayStation gaming for me. And what I ended up picking up a game, it ultimately became my my favorite PlayStation game to this date for the original PlayStation. Mm. And that is the RPG Chrono Cross. You know, lots of people don't compare it favorably to Trigger and all that, whatever, that doesn't matter. I never played Trigger, so my only experience is with Cross. So Chrono Cross, great game, loved it. You know, played it, it through, had a good time, shelved it, haven't touched it in years and years and years and years. Not because it's a bad game, but just, you know, life, right. you know, whatever. Anyways, not too long ago, just very recently, Square uh, remastered, well, I should say Square Enix, they remastered Chrono Cross and released it on modern platforms. So I ended up picking up the physical edition of Chrono Cross for the Nintendo Switch. And it's essentially the same game, except the visuals have been bumped up to high fidelity. So they Mm -hmm. haven't been reworked. These aren't all new graphics and all new textures, but they're simply upscaled to look super crisp and good on a, uh, you know, on a, on a modern TV. And I hate it. I can't, it doesn't Mm -hmm. give me any joy. It, you know, I'm looking at it thinking, okay, but the game is the same. Everything's the same. The plot, you know, the it's all there. It's all there, but I mm-hmm. can't play this. You know, I, I, for comparison, fired up the original Chrono Cross on an original PlayStation. And even though, again, it's the exact same experience, but with, you know, uh, far lower fidelity graphics, it brought it back for me. That was the Chrono Cross mm-hmm. that I grew up with. So that's an experience yes. where, you know, and it, it that made me really swear off um, remakes and remasters. There are a lot mm-hmm. of SS tribute, Sega Saturn tribute uh, games coming out. You know, right. yeah. Batsugan, there's been, like, there's tons of them. And I, I, I stay mm-hmm. away from all of them. I have no interest. Well, it's emulation, right? It, yeah, essentially, right? And, and, and not always great emulation. Not always, lag. precisely. And I just, yeah. no thank you. And, you know, yes, I guess, you know, arguably there are some remasters that are done really well. Yeah. But they're few and far between for me, to be honest. I don't discourage folks from trying them if they don't have access, you know? I mean, because that's the thing. It's all about access. We we have access to the, you know, so, I mean, and if you have it on a, on a Saturn, why not? You know, just 
played on that. It's going to be the best, right? But yeah, so for a lot of folks, they're, you know, easily accessible copies of, you know, and probably the best chance they'll have to play those games. So, you know, but yeah, I'm right there with you. Like it's, it's, it's a tough sell. And they, they recently remastered Grandia, you know? Yes. Like, I'd rather just no, play it on thank Saturn, you. you know? 100%. Uh, with, the, with the chunky graphics and stuff, you know, because it just, it looks fake. And I don't know why I, like, I choose that word, fake. But I mean, it just doesn't look real. It, do, it doesn't look as it should. It doesn't satisfy the expectation you have in your mind, I think. Yeah, it's bizarre. You know? Like, your brain, you know how your brain is used to seeing 24 frames per second? And when you see that fake uh, true, mo- you see that fake motion applied, you know, 60 frame uh, mm-hmm. interpolation applied to 24 frame uh, source material, your brain just goes like, this is uncanny valley. Like, I yes. don't like what I see here because it just doesn't look natural. I've been trained I've to, to recognize 24 frames per second and be okay with that, you know. Um, and then, of course, like anytime you see something that is 60 frames per second and it's truly natively 60 frames per second, it either looks like a video game or we grew up seeing like uh, home video, mm-hmm. having that kind of, you know, that look to it uh, where the, the frame rate was much higher, you know, mm-hmm. uh, versus what you would see in the cinema. But yeah, it's, it's, really, it's really crazy. You know, all the TVs nowadays come with that just kind of on by default and old folks don't know how to turn it off. <laughs> That's the first thing I do when I go over to my father-in-law's house is like turn this off because <laughs> yeah, this yeah, is yeah. i cannot watch this you know yeah. um but yeah you know you're right I- i'm with you yeah. so so let me just kind of get into an experience i had recently which did everything just right okay in terms of uh you know oh, being... i think i know what it is i think i know what it is but go ahead uh, so i'm curious it's 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 gaming related i guess but it's not a game per se okay um it, so you know Nick Pandemonium, um, yes. our friend, does his uh, review slash documentary videos. Does a great job for anyone who has not somehow, you know, uh, watched or uh, consumed Nick's content. Highly, highly encourage you to do so. It's just fantastic. Anyways, not it too is. long ago, he did a really long, like I think it was four and a half hour long documentary on Virtua Cop. And what that did is it wasn't just a showcase of the original game and how it played and all the rest of it, but it added a whole lot of, um, you know, time, um, time appropriate references, extra material, you know, research and a whole lot of video clips Mm. of that particular time period. And it really brought me back to, okay, this is exactly what my brain has been craving to consume. You know, yes. it, I couldn't really, I don't care much for, uh, you know, people's opinions today of games from yesteryear because right. they lack the soul of the experience, the context of the experience, if you will. But by virtue of researching, you know, how these games were made by talking to the folks and listening to the stories you know, of the folks who were involved in, in making these games and finding footage of what it was like. And, you know, it really puts you back into that moment where those good memories were created. And that to mm-hmm. me is that success, you know, yes. Re- remastering a game and, and, you know, giving it higher fidelity visuals 
does not bring me back to the moment where those good memories were created. But a product like like Nick's uh, videos tends to do that. And that's mm-hmm. what I find intensely appealing, you know? Yeah. So so that's an example of something that's done really well. Yeah, you know, like um, the Cowabunga collection is a somewhat recent release of just co- co- huge compilation of uh, Ninja Turtles games, right? And rather than like upscaling, you know, rather than really like doing any kind of treatment to the games itself, they're just curated and portrayed with context of like all of the feelies and, and the comics and the ads and stuff from back in the day. You know, there's like a, there's like a sewer that you can kind of like a museum that you can go through and you can kind of look at all of the ephemera, you know, mm-hmm. and, uh, and kind of soak up the context of when they were released and stuff like that, you know? And I mean, either the, either the games are for you or they're not, um, but the games really haven't been treated at all. You know, that you could just fire them. There may be like a layer there where you're able to do save states or or stuff like that you know that you wouldn't have been able to do but for for the most part you could just fire up the game and play it the way that you did you know and i think that that's probably a better way to treat these games than trying to like upscale them through some kind of ai you know Mm -hmm. it just always ends up looking cheap and and fake you know Mm -hmm. and i I agree with you too that it's like opinions are a dime a dozen you know so watching a game review on youtube or something is is kind of like going to be hit or miss because it's just somebody's opinion, you know, and you, mm-hmm. you either agree with them and then they're preaching to the choir or you disagree with them and you're you know, typing in the comments, like I disagree with you, but what does it matter? You know, um, like what Nick does and what like Norman Caruso, the game historian, you know, those folks really do delve into the history and provide context and context is so important. You know, that's why I Huge. love gaming magazines so much is the ability to go back and, see what people were writing and what people were thinking back then, you know, and it, it helps jog my memory and be like, Oh yeah. You know? So if you look at a certain game in the light of, and the context of when it was released, you know, you might feel a lot different about it. Oh, totally. Well, I was just thinking, you know, like just lately I've been enjoying corpse killer. One of the characters in corpse killer is a horrendous stereotype. He's like this, you know, black dreadlocks, you know, Rastafarian, like just a terrible, terrible stereotype. This would never, ever fly today. And it is, you know, it's borderline offensive. And yet you put it in the context of when this game came out, mid-1990s, you know, mm. that that was not our society's um, attitude back then. And so the game mm-hmm. makes sense in the context of time. So, you know, it's that yeah. kind of stuff that it makes all the difference. Yeah. The 90s were... I mean, arguably not as progressive. Well, no, they not even arguably. They just weren't as progressive as we are nowadays. And so, yeah, certain things that came out then just would not be released today. You know, absolutely, uh, it wouldn't fly. But, but yeah, you're definitely right there. You know, it's funny though. There, there are definitely some old games that are not great. You know, from a performance aspect or even from a visual aspect, that somehow I have. Uh, latched onto and found something to love, even though I don't have any nostalgia attached to it. Take Congo, for example, okay? Mm. Congo is a game that people love to trash on Congo, okay? Yep. Either because it's fr- fr- you know visually unimpressive, they think, or um, it's kind of crude in, in its, because it's like a first person shooter and it's very early, you know? Mm-hmm. So it has to contend with you know, using the shoulder triggers to strafe. It has to, it's, it's pre dual stick, you know? Yep. Um, and it's, it might've even been pre 3d control pad. I'm not sure it's pre analog, but any, either, either way Congo is just kind of like this 
crude representation of like a first-person shooter on the Saturn. And I didn't play it back in the day. I actually came to this game through Peter, you know. I approached it after reading your article. The game does an amazing job of establishing mood. It ha- it does a, mm. a, it does an amazing job of recreating the kind of atmosphere and ambiance that you would feel being dropped in the middle of the Congo mm-hmm, <laughs> of the jungle, mm-hmm. even as crude as the, the graphics might be uh, everything from the, the cut scenes, you know, which are kind of campy, but also well done, I think. And the color palette and the sounds and stuff like that. There's a lot of stuff that's very well done about it. Yep. And it turns out that it's a jumping Jack game, right? It's Leland, same guy who did uh, the Gen War game, which yep. which Nick has covered extensively and did an interview with him, you know? So I'm really looking forward to when he covers Congo, you know, because I want to hear more about like what went into the creation of that game. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But it's so easy for some talking head on YouTube to get in front of the camera and trash a game. But it's much more difficult, but rewarding for someone like Nick to go and find out what it took to make that game. And like all the stories that can be told in the process of making this game that probably won't ever get as much attention as like a mainline Sega game, because it's just like this poor selling third party game that's never going to get a lot of attention. But I mean, again, it still has stories to tell, right? And um, I have no nostalgia for Congo, but it is a game that I really enjoy just because of uh, the fact that I think it does a lot of things well, you know? And so I was going to ask you that. I was going to ask you, when it comes to the Saturn specifically, is there a game that you have come to really love that you have no nostalgia for and, and, you, and you actually find it really enjoyable? You know, yeah, one game comes to mind, uh, Impact Racing. Really? Never played it back in the day. Only tried it out within the last, say, year and a half. Love it. It, you know, I went in with no expectation because it's certainly not a well-known game like Daytona or Sega Rally. Um, typically, third-party games on Saturn were noticeably lower, typically were noticeably lower quality than like first-party arcade translations. So I was going into this game. I, I got into it because I was testing for compatibility with the floppy disk drive. Like I was going through every single release. And so I fired it up and right. played enough to try to get a save point somewhere to see if it would save to the to the floppy disk drive. And but then I found myself I just I just kept playing. And it was it was good. It was fun. Like the visuals kept surprising me, you know, like there were there were effects, there were, you know, different locales and bridges and, you know, you, anyway. And then the concept of not only racing as well as you can and trying to finish within a certain spot, but also having weapons to be able to, you know, take down some opponents and whatever, right. like it just clicked with me and it worked it. And it just it's a game that I really enjoy and I have no nostalgic you know, attachment to it whatsoever. Wow. So yeah, it, it's, you know, totally possible. Now you've intrigued me. Now you've, because I do own a copy of that. It's on my shelf. And I think I've probably fired it up once or twice. Right. Um, you know? And again, it's one of those games too, that kind of like, it's so obscure third party that I kind of mix it up with games like High Octane, the track yep. fights back. Like I, I just kind of jumble it together with like that list of like B tier racers um Mm -hmm. and there are many of them 
So I need an article from Peter about this game, <laughs> <laughs> but I'm definitely going to be giving it another shot because that's that's great. Yeah, it's really it's just it surprised me, and it's funny because in some ways you can compare it to a wipeout. I mean, they're both racers. You both oh, you know yes. you have weapons okay. that you try to take out your enemies, whatever. Mm-hmm. And yet, I enjoy impact racing more than I enjoy wipeout. As you as do? crazy as that sounds, so, I mean, and yeah, you like, wrote an amazing wipeout article too. Yeah, and I mean, wipeout is not a bad game, you know. And yet, no, impact racing, racing, totally under the radar, you know. Yes, it existed, it came out, it was reviewed, and then it was promptly forgotten about. You know, nobody's ever talking about this game, and yet. I'm really loving it. It's 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 just there's something about it where all the elements come together just right and it's a very fun experience, you know. Wow. Okay, so that's a big deal for you to place it above Wipeout. I think we really need an article now. <laughs> Cuz I I want to know. Like I want to know uh more about the nuance and stuff. What you what you find so appealing about this game. I'm definitely mm-hmm. going to be trying it. I'm definitely going to be trying it. Um Nice That's amazing, you. though. So, so how do you feel about uh, Sonic Mania? Sonic Mania, I believe, was the reason you bought a Switch, right? It is, yes, correct. And so this was an attempt. This was, you know, of course, there's a uh, long line of, you know, fan, Sonic fan games, right? I mean, so much so that there's even a fan game competition, you know, every mm-hmm, year. Mm-hmm. And so this was one of those situations where you had a dude who made this really really slick mod of sonic game and sega bought into it you know and they were like okay so we're gonna part with them partner with a fan and bring this to reality and most of the reception of sonic mania was positive although Mm -hmm. subsequently i've started to hear people kind of roll back and say why not just play sonic 3 you know um it's just more of the same really so it's like i've recently heard people kind of saying like sonic mania is great But really, when you just strip it down to like a choice between, well, I have 30 minutes here, I could either play Sonic Mania or I could play Sonic 3. I'll just play Sonic 3. Interesting. Because it's like kind of more of the same. But how do you feel? Like, how do you feel about Sonic Mania? So I think it's a great game. You know, it's done well because it maintains... It looks like the 16-bit games did. You know what I mean? Like, it's not high right. definition. The graphics are pixelated on purpose. Like, they're they're blocky on purpose, right? Mm-hmm. Um, a lot, like, the special stage is sort of a throwback or an homage to, like, you know, the Sonic CD special stages. Um, sure. You know, there's a lot of... You could tell that it was made by people who loved the Sonic games. You can... You just feel right. that in it, you know? Um uh, to be honest, I actually prefer, for the most part, I prefer the new and, and original levels compared to the sort of reimaginings of, of the initial zones. And I think right. the game would have been way stronger had it been only levels original. that were original. I mean, maybe start off in Green Hill Zone just to get people into it, and that's it. And everything right. else is original. But it's a long game. It is very well adapted now to, you know, the fact that you can have widescreen, that your color palette isn't limited, and yet it doesn't go crazy with it. You know, you don't have 60 million colors on screen. You still have a fairly sort of compact amount of assets that the game uses and what have you. So so it was done well. And I also particularly enjoy the music. 
like, you know, by the time we got to Sonic 3, um, you know, there was a lot of Michael Jackson influence in a lot of the tunes, which, you know, that's a whole nother controversy. Right. And while obviously this game doesn't have that, um, it feels like a good sort of compliment. I mean, maybe evolution isn't the right word, but it's certainly complementary of that style. It fits. It's not because there have definitely been Sonic games that have come out um like Sonic 3D Blast, where as good as the music is, it doesn't sound like Sonic music, really. Do you know what I mean? Yes. Um, so, yeah, you know, I, I do enjoy it. I like it. But to me, this isn't a remake or a remaster. It is a new, an all-new game. Yeah. And, you know, if I were to sort of address the criticisms of it's, it's more of the same... I mean, to me, it's iterative, just as right. Sonic 2 was an iterate, you know, an iteration of Sonic 1 with some improvements, then Sonic 3 was the same. And to me, Sonic Mania is an iterative improvement over the Sonic formula. And to me, I'm, I'm fine with that. That's that's good. Do you feel like the the impact it's had on you or the the time that you've spent with it? has created any kind of memories that you're going to take into the future? Or will you always be looking back at like basically the, like, mm. will you have any nostalgia for Sonic mania or will it really just be kind of like a, a footnote or like a interesting question? Cause that's kind of what I'm wondering. Cause yeah, yeah, yeah. Cause again, like I feel like it's a very neat tidy package and I definitely feel like it pokes the right, you know, buttons in terms of like, feeding that need for more true sonic i don't feel like i've developed any kind of memories with it that i'm really like 10 years from now i'm going to look back and say yeah sonic mania that was really great like no and you're right i don't think i will either and i don't think though that this is because the game did a bad job of creating those memories or whatever I, i mean the game is just fine but i mean I experienced Sonic on the Genesis in like my early teenage years. And those are just so, so formative. You know what I mean? Um, Yeah. You know, and plus we're adults now. We have different, you know, priorities, certainly competing priorities. Our leisure time is at a premium. And, you know, if I had to choose what to do with my leisure time when I was a kid, it was mostly like, okay, am I going to play Sonic two or Sonic three? Whereas now it's like, am I going to go outside for a bike ride? Am I going to play with my son? Am I going to do a million other things? Or am I going to sit down with Sonic mania? And I'm the thing is like, if I were to sit down with Sonic mania, I would have a good time, but it wouldn't sort of create the mental, I don't know if it's attachment or whatever that I think games did back then because of the, age that we were at when we were experiencing them if that makes sense right it does and i I think that jesse might have a easier time developing some kind of nostalgia or fond memories of sonic mania because for me sonic mania is just an amplifier right it's just a a pointer Mm. it's a thing that stands here and points at the originator and says that is what i'm trying to amplify that's what i'm trying to boost what a great way to put it but to him it might be more of an example of like his first experience with being thrown into like the Sonic Mm -hmm. universe and stuff. And, you know, so again, yeah, it's like a signal amplifier. Right. And really all it's doing is standing there and saying like, this is everything that was great about 
the thing you love so yeah, much, you know? Yeah. So while I love it and while it definitely does scratch an itch, it really just makes me want to go back and look at the stuff that it points to. Mm -hmm. Whereas I think for a younger generation, it's kind of like an entry point. Yes. And more of a gateway into Sonic fandom and everything like that. And they might potentially something that they'll look back on and have fond memories of. You know, but see, I look at what Patrick, my son, who was six years old, like what he is into in terms of gaming, Mm -hmm. because at this age and the intensity with which he plays these games, I am positive that as an older man, he will eventually look back on, on these games with, with the same fondness and nostalgia that we are dealing with. And it's things like Minecraft, it's things like Roblox and, you know, finding Chomix and all this stuff, which, you know, I look at and to me, it's like, okay, well, that I, I see the appeal. I understand the appeal, but nothing in there is drawing me. But that is his world right now. And I'm sure when he's, you know, 25, 35, whatever, he's going to look back very, very fondly on those particular games, right? So He's going to want to fire up Minecraft and play. Yeah, yeah. Totally. You're absolutely right. Jesse, very much the same. You know, he'll want to play Minecraft. He will also, though, you know, want to play some like Mario Kart 8. You know, Smash Brothers, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but uh, we've got a Switch. So, Mm -hmm, you know, he mm -hmm. plays the Switch a lot. And, you know, I think the last time that I played something that gave me any kind of feeling of like, this is something special, this is something original, and this is a new feeling, this is a new memory that I'm forming, was Breath of the Wild. Mm. I don't know if you played it or not, but like Zelda Breath of the Wild, when I played that game... I'm an adult and I'm this is post having kids and everything like that. And I would say probably the feeling wasn't as strong as some of the feelings that we developed as kids. You know, reality is so different for kids, you know, mm-hmm. uh, and, and emotions and, and the attachments that you form with things are so much stronger because they mean so much more to you. You haven't been alive that long of and course. they're uh, hugely impactful to your experience, you know, whereas now it's like as an adult, you've got so many responsibilities and so many distractions. You really can only devote so much of yourself to, to a video game, you know, but I will say that my initial experience playing Breath of the Wild was special enough that I'll probably look back on it fondly you know, 20 years from Mm -hmm, now. mm -hmm. Um, But I don't think that it'll be anything as powerful as, again, like all of the nostalgic memories that we formed from our childhood. Well, so here's the thing, though. Like, we tend to forget bad memories. Yes. And we tend to really remember the good ones, right? So Self-preservation, basically. Absolutely. That's exactly what it is. And, you know, like looking back, so think about, you know, playing a game like Ninja Turtles or any of the other very, like, insanely difficult games. You won't remember the 99 times you died. You're going to remember the feeling of that 100th time that you succeeded or whatever. You know what I mean? And that's, you know, when, when we deal with nostalgia, that's what we're drawing on is all the positive memories. And it's like the negative memories were maybe cognitively aware that they're there, that they existed, but they don't, um, they don't form part of that nostalgic feeling. So it's a, so it's a bit of a deceptive thing. And that's why, you know, sometimes we do go back to the exact same experience. We recreate it and it's kind of not that good mm-hmm. because all of a sudden we're faced with all the things that maybe made it less than good that we've just forgotten about, or they're just not part of our consciousness anymore. So, right. you know, it's a, it's a fascinating thing. I will say this. Um, there was a period of time in my life where, you know, right around the, the Dreamcast, Xbox, PS2, GameCube generation, that was the last generation where I was like heavily invested into modern gaming. 
that was the last Xbox I ever got, the last PlayStation I ever got. I've got nothing newer than that, and I have no interest in it. I have kept up with Nintendo systems, but primarily just for like the you know the Mario Zelda experiences. So for a long time, I was almost exclusively a retro gamer, and then I got a Switch. And the games that appeal to me the most are the ones that are made by indie studios. Mm-hmm. You know, the low budget ones where you know, they have to succeed on innovation and gameplay because they just don't have the, you know, triple A studio, multi-million dollar budget and all that kind of stuff. So that's gaming that appeals to me mm-hmm. now, you know, from a modern sort of perspective. And maybe that's, I think that's something that's never going to change with me, you know? Yeah. Um, and that's just the way it is. So, yeah. There have been instances where I've picked up a modern game or I've sat down with somebody playing a modern game and I've thought to myself, wow, you know, games have really come a long way, you know, and there are a lot of mechanics sure. that have been improved, a lot of quality of life features, a lot of, uh, you know, boundaries surpassed in terms of ray tracing and stuff like that. And that to a degree, I'm missing out. You know, there are some things that I'm missing out on. Uh, when I choose to spend my time revisiting the past, you know, mm-hmm. so like I'm a huge hardware nerd, right? You know, I love, you know, mm-hmm. retro hardware. And I think that part of it is, like I say, this intangible kind of like OCD that um, I just have a fascination with proprietary hardware. You know, I have a fascination mm-hmm. with, you know, software running on bespoke hardware and that there are so many limitations involved that the developers had to overcome and that there are so many little quirks about this hardware that gives it its unique personality, whether it be how it renders 3d or how it, the type of gameplay experiences that you get when you play that system, like the Neo Geo or the PlayStation, you know, or the Saturn, these machines just have a very strong identity where I feel like that is kind of lost today with modern platforms that are essentially just beefed up PCs basically, or, you know, just like, yep. you know, a box with off the shelf components, you know, and, and every year you get kind of like a iteration, an upgrade based on whatever new processor is out, you know? Mm-hmm. And I mean, effectively these old consoles, even like the 3DO, it's just so, <laughs> it's just so locked down and proprietary, you know? Um, and there are creative things that developers were able to do with it, but you know, to a degree, it's just a 3DO game is a 3DO game, love it or hate it, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, you know, I think that part of my fascination comes from that, you know. Like I- I've been wasting a lot of time lately playing Saturn online, you know. It's a very limited experience, you know. You're dialing up another individual, you know, on both sides, and you're playing these Saturn games, you know, via a dial-up modem, essentially. But it's great, you know. I mean, it's just it does tap into my nostalgia uh, to a degree. It satisfies my OCD and it also helps me kind of like, you know, push the console and experience like what this console was capable of as proprietary as it is, you know? And yeah, I mean, maybe part of that is just being old, you know, is that I've become interested in in this kind of stuff. It it really sounds like you and I are cut from the same cloth because I, everything you've just said is exactly how I kind of, I love proprietary hardware. I love seeing, you know, what, you know, folks were able to do with it in terms of software. I love quirky, weirdo, obscure add-ons like that all appeals to me. Right. So we've talked about two of the three things that you mentioned at the beginning, but we haven't really hit on addiction. 
Right. So yeah. I'm, Addiction. you know, I'm really <laughs> curious at what point does it switch? Do you think from, you know, a, a passion or a hobby into more of a compulsion or an addiction? You know, where's that line? I think that there's like, oftentimes you can experience a strong urge to get or acquire something that if you were able to step outside of yourself for a moment, you would say, I don't actually really need this at all. Oh, wow. In yep. fact, I, I need 100%. to, I need to pay my mortgage. I need to provide for my kids, you know, and there are a lot of other things like that are very sensible things that I could get. Like I could get a new phone, which I kind of need, but darn it. If I spend my money on that, then I can't get this really old yep. <laughs> complete inbox and it has to be pristine, mind you, yeah, yeah, <laughs> Genesis yeah. or whatever, you know, like you don't need that. Right. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And neither does the person on eBay that's trying to get rid of it. You know, 100%. <laughs> like, it's just so, but, but it's that addiction that kind of drives you to acquire these things. And I think sometimes, sometimes it's real, you know, sometimes it, the positive association that you have with these things is real enough to uh, justify that acquisition, you know? Um, because again, if you take joy from it, then there's nothing wrong with that. You know, Mm -hmm. if it makes you happy, but if you end up getting it and then you immediately feel like this was a wasteful purchase and it's just going to sit on the shelf, you kind of got to take a step back and say like, have I gone too far? (laughs) Yeah. Oh, for sure. And I mean, there was a point in my life where I became hyper aware of what collecting for gaming was doing to me. And like, I think it's more common to hear, you know, like a wife will say, oh, you know, all my husband ever does is sit on the couch and play video games. And that's maybe a bit of a stereotype. I mean, it certainly could go both ways, but that, you know, you hear about that. But what I found with myself, there was a time where it wasn't so much the sitting down on the couch and playing the game as it was hunting for a specific game or a specific item, you know, purchasing it, whatever. And then it would come in through the mail or what have you. You open it, you check it to make sure it is as advertised, nothing's wrong with it or broken. And then it hits the shelf. Because you're exercising your nostalgia. Mm. In that moment, you have nostalgia for games being hard fought. Back in the day when you were a kid and you could had to wait for a birthday or for Christmas Mm. or for some special event, or you had to take out the trash, you had to work hard for the money to acquire a game. And so until you acquired that game, you thought about it nonstop. You would read the magazines. You'd go to the store and maybe maybe you couldn't even afford to buy the magazine, but you keep reading that same magazine, you know, and salivating over this thing that you were going to get. That right there is part of the experience of being a retro gamer. That's what we had to do when we were kids. You didn't have disposable income. Mm. And you have so many great memories about that uh, delayed gratification, sure. I guess, yeah. you know. Yeah. You, you actually have nostalgia for that too. So the acquisition of games nowadays, you know, waiting for it to come after you've ordered it from eBay or whatever, you know, maybe even the indecision of not actually buying it and then finally buying the thing that you, it was like the perfect thing that satisfies, checks all the boxes for you. And then you're waiting for it to come. But once it comes, you know, yeah. you've got it. Yeah. Now what? Yeah. You know, you already can play it on an EverDrive, mm-hmm. you know, or maybe you've been playing it on an EverDrive. So what do you open it up and read the manual and kind of scratch that itch? You know, again, to a certain extent, it's, it's an escape to a certain extent. It's like trying to relive the past versus living in the present, you know, and how much time do you spend reliving the past 
versus creating new, new memory. memories. Oh, for sure. Hundred percent. Yeah. And when you talk about riding bike and spending time with your son, those are the new memories that you're going to look on fondly. You 100%. know, hundred percent. Um, yeah, I have caught myself even recently when I've either had a, a bad day or it's just not, you know, not feeling the best, whatever kind of reaching to eBay and kind of scrolling through and seeing if I could buy something, not so much because I needed it, maybe not even so much because I wanted it, but I wanted that good feeling from knowing that I've just acquired something else. Retail therapy. Yeah. And boy, you know, that's, <laughs> and you know, it, it's not like these things are 50 cents a pop. Like, you know, you've got to, you know, um, you've got to drop some, some money on it. And like, I mean, I, I will, I'll say this. So this morning I, I bought a uh, Saturn on, on eBay. It's going to come in the mail. Cause you need more, right? Because I only, <laughs> you know, because clearly I don't have enough. So, you know, <laughs> Do I need another? I do not. I do not need another. I should get rid of half my Saturns and I'd still have more than the than the average. Is it some rare revision or something? It really isn't. It is a vanilla Sega Saturn, an American Sega Saturn. It. I mean, the one thing I guess that uh, it has going for it, if you could call it that, is it is, it's a 1997 build and it is using the very last board revision that was ever used in North America. And I, yes, okay, okay arguably I don't have That's OCD that. right there. <laughs> Yet, yeah, right. So, but is that something that I needed you know, if I were to, like you had said earlier, if I took a step outside of my body and evaluated the situation, I, I really don't see that that was <laughs> a, a healthy purchase. You know what I mean? And I think that it's easy to, I can completely relate. And I often think to myself, oh, well, you know, if I, if I change my mind later, I can just sell it, right? Because these mm. things are just ridiculously mm -hmm. going up in price. But of course, they're not always going to be, right? You know, yeah. I mean, the bubble is probably going to pop at some point, right? Um, we have a friend in the community sega steve you know and he was at prge with yep. us and everything dude has dude has a lot of a stuff. mountain a sea <laughs> of saturns and i think he just acquired a couple more right mm -hmm, you know mm -hmm. and again i know that he's just like us you know with the ocd and the really really you know niche justifications for things like oh well it's a, it's a very specific model number it's a very specific revision board revision right gotta catch them all right yeah and I mean, that's that's the funny thing is, you know, Nintendo, they knew that our brains worked like that. And so they capitalized on it. Right. Sure. And we're going to release three different colors of this game and, and you're going to have to catch them all. You know, um, yeah, you know, oh, yeah. It, we haven't changed a bit, you know, since we're honestly, we're just animals and our brains work a certain way. Right. Dopamine, serotonin. Totally. You know, the things that matter though okay so like case in point just the other night i stayed up late which i don't normally do because i have to work early and stuff but i stayed up late on a wednesday night and i played um shadows of the tusk with mm, pat right mm -hmm, yeah we had like 10 people in the chat you know 10 people in the in the shiro discord chat and just hanging out with those folks and having fun with folks and everything those are new memories that i'm forming you know that are really good positive positive memories um good experiences. And I know for a fact that, you know, not only was that fun, but I'm going to definitely, you know, look back on that fondly. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I mean, again, we're chasing this high, you know, that, that we had when we were little kids, mm -hmm. because when you were a kid, you didn't have responsibility. 
and the world seemed like a much safer place. Yes. It wasn't actually, you know, 100%. the Gulf War was going on, the uh, trouble in Afghanistan, uh, presidents getting caught <laughs> doing stuff they weren't supposed to, you know, you had, I mean, going all the way back in history, you know, there's, there's always been, you know, turmoil. There's always been, you know, stuff swirling around. Mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. as a kid, you are just so ambivalent to all of it. You, your parents are there to do all the worrying <laughs> and you're just there to have fun, you know? And so you can enjoy these things like video games so much more. You're right. Because you don't have all of that other stuff weighing down on you and distracting you from just this pure thing, the pure essence of joy that you mm-hmm, get from mm-hmm. a video game. That's very true. I think that my dad got into the PlayStation. Um, the PlayStation has a lot of dark and gritty games, you know, it has a lot of games with mature themes. And I think that that kind of helped get my dad back into video games in the mid nineties when he got a PlayStation, because at that point it would be really hard for him with all of the concerns of an adult, you know, with kids and everything like that to really get into some kiddie fun game, you know, but being a lover of film and music and art and everything like that, he could really get into and resonate with some of these darker, grittier PlayStation games, you know, that dealt with mature themes and Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. war and death and difficult relationships and stuff like that. So, you know, games did something for him, you know, in that, in that vein. But again, it's, it's just more complicated. I mean, even Shenmue, you know, Shenmue starts with yeah, his his yeah. father being killed. And then, and the whole thing is about revenge, you know? It was Those pretty, are mature themes. Yeah, pretty, like, definitely. heavy topic. I was a teenager when I played. I was about, I was about Rio's age when I played that, you know? So, to be honest with you, I have a really good memories associated with that game as well. But it's different than the memories I have playing, you know, Sonic the Hedgehog with my sister or brother, you know? Do you think that when we get to an even older age. So our kids are now grown up. They've moved out. We no longer need to, you know, uh, take care of them nearly to the extent that we do now. Financially, you know, at that point, we're now more stable. We've got more money because, you know, we don't have the kids to 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 finance and so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. And even maybe to an extent, physically, we're not quite as capable of doing the same amount of stuff as as we perhaps could in the past. You know, at that point, do you think that we will become like uh, more involved in gaming? Do you think that that will increase or, or do you think it'll sort of be a no, no, no different than it is say now? I honestly wonder about that. I wonder about that so much. I I don't know. Like part of me wonders like when I'm 60, will I even care anymore? Will I have exhausted through Shiro and everything like that? And, and being a content creator, will I have, have exhausted every last ounce of Mm. damn that I can give, you know, about this Mm -hmm, stuff. mm -hmm, Will mm -hmm. my consoles, will the caps all be burnt out (laughs) to the point where none of them actually work. And then I'm 60 and I have to like, uh, you have to go recap all these consoles to make them work again. Right. I don't know. There's so many questions. I think, will will these things be kind of like baseball cards where the market just, nobody cares anymore. These games are worth mountains of gold right now. But I mean, at some point, will there be just pretty much nobody left to really even care? You know, uh, there has to be a demand in order for there to be value in something, yep. you know? Yeah. Um, I don't know. I ask myself all those questions. And of course, you know, I've, I've spent a lot of time kind of recently collecting magazines 
that mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. specifically, you know, like the Sega Saturn magazines and the next generation and, and edge and stuff like that. And I think that has a lot less to do with nostalgia and more to do with this wanting to kind of round out, I guess, my mm-hmm, experience mm-hmm. with video games um, and come at it from more of a adult perspective and, and wanting to know more about the context and everything like that of the time. Because again, when I grew up, I wasn't really focusing on that stuff. You know, your experience of video games was much more end user, you know, and yeah. if you were reading magazines as a kid, you were probably reading like tips and tricks or you were reading 100%. like you know, Nintendo power or something like that, you know, and then now I really do get kind of a high from turning a page and seeing, oh my God, here's an article, a really, really early article about a Saturn prototype, you know, <laughs> like, you oh, know? yeah, yeah, it's fun. It's fun, you know, because it's almost like you can look at that time from another perspective, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, oh, yeah. It's, it's crazy. Like, I don't have an answer for you, honestly, Peter. But I know one thing. I'm going to have a lot of great memories of talking with you <laughs> on Editor's <laughs> Corner, you know? And, you know, I want to get you one of those live modems, one of those little USB modems so that we mm-hmm. can get you online. Because I know you have a Netlink. Yes. You've got the modem cart, right? And you've got plenty of Saturns. <laughs> so I just need to get you online so that you and I can have a couple of matches, you know, Canada to us. That would be fun. That sounds like a really good, prime. it's on my high priority list. Uh, you know, Knight just finished soldering a bunch of them, you know, so I'm mm-hmm, going to make mm-hmm. sure you get one of those and it would be awesome to add you to our, our Netlink league. But yeah, I don't know. Like I say, all these things are hard to comment on or hard to pin down, uh, empirically because they're so intangible and it kind of, varies from person to person you know yep absolutely our level of ocd our level of addiction or our level of nostalgia you know but i think you and i are pretty similar in that in that sense we're we're pretty similar oh i think so yes we may have maybe come at it from different uh angles but i think we all we ended up in very much the same headspace the same you know i mean gosh how often is it that we talk about something and you know we're talking over each other because we we both think the exact same way so yeah that's a that's (laughs) a phenomenon that's for sure so selling your nintendo 64 seems like a pretty healthy decision then and one that you're happy with yeah you know so i'll I'll say this so uh, as i was saying up until the the Dreamcast, GameCube, PS2, and original Xbox generation, I was buying everything. All the consoles, as many games as I could afford, and the amount of money I was blowing on games then was ridiculous. Just ridiculous, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but it wasn't ultimately the money that made me turn away from doing that. It was the space. Like, yes. this stuff was taking over. And so... Yes, I still have a lot of physical stuff, but it is, first of all, nowhere near as much as I used to have. It's it's really reduced. And second of all, I enjoy keeping my gaming collection to one wall in one room of my house. Right. That's it. Mm-hmm. And I've sort of made up my mind that I will not permit it to go beyond that. So if I really want something and there's no room for it, then something else has Something's to go. Something's got to go, right. You know? And so, yeah, and so there's been a lot of trimming and whatever. So, so same with the Nintendo 64 stuff. Like, I've recently been wanting to get back into it, but it better be virtual or emulation or an ODE because there is no way, and I'm not even talking financially, but there is no way that I would want to entertain, you know, starting a new collection of physical things that I need to keep. That's just not 
a thing anymore. So, and, and I will admit this too, Dave, I've been thinking about this a lot too. And I have decided that the switch is going to be the last console that I buy Mm. as time goes on. I can continue to, I guess, augment and buy bits and pieces, you know, odds and sods for the consoles or the systems that I own, but I will not um, buy anything newer or more recent that comes out no matter what it may be or how good it may be simply because, you know, there's only so much of life. There's still so much more I want to experience and accomplish and do. Mm -hmm. And games have been amazing and will always be a part of me and who I am and all that. But I need to actively limit how much of my life I am, you know, dedicating to that particular hobby. So, and that I am at peace yeah, with. I agree. I agree with that. You might end up buying something for Patrick. <laughs> he might end yes. up asking yep. for it, you know, and so yep. it yep. somehow works its way into your household. Uh, I know that that's the case for, you know, my dad, you know, uh, mm. he probably wouldn't have otherwise bought certain things that he did, you know, because the kids begged for it. But, uh, but no, you know what? You're right. And I think that anybody out there who knowingly suffers from a degree of addiction or OCD would be very well served to do like you did and create a boundary for yourself. You know, mm-hmm. part of being, you know, having OCD is creating arbitrary rules that you have to follow, right? Well, I mean, what better to do than to create a hard limit boundary for yourself where you say, I am not going to do this if it exceeds like this room or this shelf, right? And if you create that healthy boundary for yourself and you stick to it, it's it's a discipline, you know? It's a self-discipline. It's not always going to be easy, but it is important because this is all great as long as it remains healthy and fun, you know? Yes. But when it gets yes. to the point where you are seeking fulfillment in these pointless and trivial, you know, acquisitions, you know, that don't end up, you know, leaving you with any kind of real happiness, you know, that's when you really have to take a step back and say, okay, why am I doing this? You know, um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think that folks are going to get more enjoyment out of the experiences that they share with others, you know, versus just these lonely totally. experiences, you know? So it's very important for folks to take a step back and kind of look at their game collection and say, okay, what here is important? What here means something to me? And then what here is just filler or it's just here as a consequence of, as a consequence of bad decisions that I've made and it's taking up space, you know, Mm -hmm. and it's taking up space from other stuff that might make a bigger difference. You know, I highly recommend that folks join a community where they can talk and share and, you know, share these experiences because that again is going to help create a lot of positive memories and a lot of positive experiences uh, and, and quite possibly help provide support, you know, for, you know, a lot of these things, you know, we will deal with separately, you know, from one another, you know, but when we are able to talk to each other about it, it gives you more perspective and ability to step back and say, okay, I need to reevaluate, you know, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I think that's good for everybody. What a perfect way to cap off this conversation, really, I find, you know what I mean? Because it sounds like we both have come to a place of relative peace and it's not... That's not to say, like, I mean, you just got this genesis that, you know, maybe mm-hmm. you didn't need 
You know, I just today bought a Saturn that clearly objectively I didn't need. So it's not something that you can just shut the door on and it goes away forever. But, <laughs> well, it takes you know. up less space. And I'm seriously thinking about getting rid of the Model 1. I'm not sure. Like, I don't need multiple Genesis, <laughs> if that's how you say it. But I mean, definitely I wanted to be able to play Genesis on, on a real hardware and I mean, it takes up so much less space. So that's why I mm-hmm. went with the Model 2, despite not having any nostalgia for it, you know? Mm-hmm. But I do think it looks really slick and cute. Like, Sega really knew how to design consoles, didn't they? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> because every single one looks so cool, you know? Absolutely. But yeah, I have multiple things that I've stacked up here that need to be listed to eBay, you know? Mm. And I know that's going to make me happy and that's going to make Meg happy and it's going to give us a little bit of extra spending change, you know? So, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. but yeah, it's, then it's just the, the matter of doing it, you know, <laughs> getting it, which, you know, it can be work, you know, listing things on oh, eBay for and, sure. everything, and then following through with the shipping and everything can be work. But I've, I've got like a pile of stuff that, that, that uh, is ready to go up. And so, yeah, purging is a good thing, you know? Oh, it is. <laughs> yeah. There was a few years ago, there was a, um, I had a need to renovate um, a part of my basement. I wanted to create another room. You know, it, it involved having, you know, some guys come in and put up drywall and this and that and electric, whatever. Um, a few weeks prior, there was sort of an impromptu. This was during COVID. So there was an impromptu sort of game sale gathering thing where a bunch of folks uh, in town, we, we picked a parking lot in a shopping mall. We got permission from the shopping mall. And everybody just pulled up in their cars and sold out of the trunks of their cars because that way you do masking and social distancing and you were outside, you weren't in an enclosed area, blah, blah, blah. Mm. So that I decided, you know what, that I'm going to, I'm going to see if I can sell off some of my uh, unwanted items to help fund this little renovation that we were, we were working on. And, you know, within a couple of hours, I sold thousands of dollars worth of stuff and it funded this this renovation project and it it you felt so good. Felt so good. You yeah. had you had less stuff at home, so less stuff that was sort of cluttering and tying you down, and you turned it into something super positive. So yeah, hundred percent. You know the ability to evaluate and reduce and purge, and you know you know take your time thinking about it because the last thing you want to do is get rid of something that you know within within a few weeks you realize ah oh, I should have kept that. Yeah. So don't put yourself in that spot, but it definitely. You know, definitely there are, there is, I think, a happy balance that you could achieve Mm -hmm. where you have what you want, but you don't have too much. You know what I mean? If you're fortunate enough to be in a position where you don't really need the money per se, and you have excess, you might even consider giving it away to somebody Mm -hmm. else who would enjoy it. Because I think that a lot of times just knowing that it's going to somebody who's going to love it and enjoy it. And maybe they didn't have the means of uh, acquiring it, you know, easily. That's, that's great. You know, like I've, I've given consoles away too. And I've had folks give me consoles, honestly, or give me Mm -hmm. bits and here and there, you know? And, uh, and again, it was just because they weren't using it and they didn't necessarily need the money or want to sell it, but they were like, Hey, you like video games here have some of the stuff that, you know, that I had fun with back in the day, you know? So again, you know, that might be something too, is if you know somebody who might enjoy it, just, you know, give it away and see how good that makes you feel. Because oftentimes, you know, that can be a great way to bring joy to somebody else's life too, you know? 
anyway, yep. I think this was a great topic. There's probably so much more we could say about it. Again, we were shooting from the hip though, as we do on the, on the editor's corner. We're not really, you know, we don't have a whole lot of notes. It's really more or less just speaking from personal experience, but definitely a lot of the stuff that you said resonates with me and I, I totally wholeheartedly agree. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Likewise. It was a great chat. But yeah, so this has been uh, Saturn Dave and, and Peter reminding you that you must play your Sega Saturn. And we hope that you all have a great couple of weeks until the next Editor's Corner comes out. And uh, until next time, we'll see you later. Two ninety nine. See you later, folks. <laughs> <laughs>